One of the hardest lessons that I'm learning, continue to learn, and perhaps you're the same as I am, is avoid making assumptions. Just get rid of assumptions. Because most of the time, we are very mean with our assumptions. We frequently assume the worst in others. We never assume best intentions. We always assume worst intentions. Uh, I was reminded when I was Christmas shopping with Gail, and we went to this little sunglass thing. We wanted to buy sunglasses, and uh, it's really important because I think Gail looks great in everything, actually, most everything. So I said, let's get somebody who walks by to tell us, you know, what they think about you in those sunglasses. And I tried unsuccessfully with three different people that walked by me. They're like, no, no, I don't want any. I don't want any. I'm like, no, I'm not asking. I'm, I want you to, no, 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 no. Because they're assuming, what? I'm trying to sell them something. That's exactly right. Because we assume the worst in people. When there's a bad driver, I don't think that the car is messing up. I don't think, okay, well, they must be having car problems. I assume that they're a bad driver. They don't know what they're doing. They need to get off the road. My friend Brad used to be a sheriff deputy. They were constantly getting a call by a little lady, shut-in lady, and she was constantly calling the police to say that somebody had broken into her home and stole something. But her home was locked down. Nobody ever came in. She didn't let anybody in. The sheriff department knew, knew that she is forgetting where she put stuff. But she assumed if she couldn't find it, then it was stolen. Our assumptions are almost always wrong. They're almost always not gracious or generous. And Jesus endured the same thing. Jesus uh, was accused by the disciples of John the Baptist and um, the Herodians, this is Mark chapter 2, of being a glutton and a friend of sinners because Jesus ate with tax collectors and he ate with ceremonial unpure people. And so they assumed that when Jesus ate with them, he was like them, that they drug him down. But the reality is they didn't drag him down. You know that? He brought them up. We assume automatically that bad people bring good people down. You can't soar on the wings of eagles if you're hanging around with a bunch of turkeys. What was, is Pat Asby here? What was water always finds its lowest point or something? We assume, don't we, that it's easier to go down than it is to come up. Right? Don't we? Jesus talks to the rich young man. And I want to try to break this story free from our assumptions. Because what Jesus is telling this rich young man is the exact same thing that he's telling you and me today. Same message. But sometimes we don't think it applies to us because we don't see ourselves as the rich young man. So let's break away some assumptions. 
The first assumption that people have when they approach this is that this young man is greedy. Because after all, he goes away sad, right? Because he's a man of great wealth. I remember back in the flannel graph days, the rich young man had a snarl on his lip. You could tell that he was a bad guy. If he would have been a cowboy, he'd been wearing a black hat. He was greedy. But was he greedy? I mean, Jesus asked him to give everything away. Everything. How many of us would pass that litmus test? Everything? Not 10%. In fact, based on what he says about himself and that Jesus loved him, I bet you he gave 10%. Can you imagine a really wealthy guy giving 10%? Listen, I'll take him as a church member. Come on, you give 10%, you're a wealthy guy, I'll take you. But he wasn't good enough to make it into Jesus' kingdom. You notice that? Assumption number two. He was a bad guy. He was bad. That's how you get wealthy, by the way, is you steal from people, you take from people. He just wanted to get eternal life. He, he wasn't a legitimate thing. But did you see all that he said that he's done? says that he's not committed adultery, he's not stolen, he's not lied, he's not defrauded anybody, and he's honored his parents. He's a pretty good guy. He's better than some of our church members. I'd take him. How about this one? Heard somebody preach this sermon before I got hired. I listened to some of the previous sermons. One of the preachers said, that he is obviously lying. He didn't do all that stuff. He's lying. Never lie. Honor your parents. I don't read anywhere where he's lying. Jesus looked at him. He loved him. In fact, Jesus affirmed him because Jesus says there's still one thing you lack. Jesus doesn't say, oh yeah, you're full. Well, not that Jesus would say you're full of it, but you know. Yeah, yeah, you're not. No. I think he's legit. He's telling the truth. He's done everything but one thing. And that one thing's not even in the Bible. Nowhere does Jesus ask anybody else to give it all. Nowhere in the Bible does God ask for a 100% offering. That leads to the next assumption. It's wrong to be rich. It's wrong to be rich. This is a popular assumption because our world is so polarized, poor against rich, and so it must be wrong. But here's the thing. King David was pretty rich. King Solomon was pretty rich. God didn't go in there and say, hey, listen, you're not the, you're not the child after my own heart because you have money. Joseph of Arimathea, who provided Jesus a grave, who was a follower of Jesus, who maybe was on the board of Sanhedrin, he didn't have to reject all of his wealth. No, it's not about being rich. Well, this is about inheriting eternal life. That's what the young man asked, right? How do I get eternal life? So that's what this whole story is about, is about getting eternal life. But he does ask for eternal life. But did you see how Jesus answered him? Jesus answered, verse 23, not about eternal life, 
but about the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't even answer the question that he's asking. How do I get eternal life? Jesus said, this is how you're in God's kingdom. The last assumption, which is very popular nowadays, is that this is about God's favoritism towards the poor. That God shows love and affinity and affiliation towards the poor. And while that case could be made elsewhere, because remember the Lord's Prayer is the prayer for daily bread. It's the prayer of a poor person. And that God does have a love and affection for people who are helpless. This is not an example of God being against the rich and being for the poor. Because Jesus says, give your money away to the poor. He doesn't say, go to the temple and give it to distribute to the poor. He doesn't say, give it to us. Because remember, Judas had access to the money bag, and we'll make sure it's distributed to the poor. He doesn't say, hey, remember that lady who had the issue of bleeding, and she's, she's given all that she had so that she could be healed? Go ahead and give it to her, because she's poor. He doesn't point out anybody to give it to. It's almost like it doesn't even matter. Give it away. Give it away to poor people. Because it's not about wealth, it's not about poverty, it's not about obeying the law, it is about being all in. Being all in. We have a guy here who is concerned about his eternal destination. And he realizes, because he's rich, that money doesn't buy you eternity. Money might not even extend your life by one hour. Money falls short. The question that he asks, which is the same question we have, is how do we go to heaven? How do we get eternal life? Because money is not going to do it. I think this young man who's rich and does all this good stuff, and I'm going to take him at his word, I think he's got a good life. But here's what I want you to note, especially those people that are taking notes. A good life does not equal a godly life. A good life does not equal a godly life. He could easily step back and say, look, all, the reason I'm rich is because God's blessing me. The reason I'm being blessed is because I'm being obedient. And I've got a good life because God's hand of blessing is on me. And you know what we find out in this story? That guess what? He's being blessed, but it's not the hand of God. Because his life is incompatible with the kingdom of God. It's only compatible with the kingdom of God if he were to give everything away and follow Jesus. That is a radical ask. I'll take 10%. I'll take 8%. Jesus wants it all. And he wants it all from us today, too. I think the rich young man realizes something that we all come to realize at some stage is that no matter how great this world is, and there's great things in this world, we can't take it with us. In fact, we're just bystanders. All this great stuff that we get to witness is not for us. We just get to witness it. There was this incredible time in Nicaragua. Thursday or Friday, I think, 
We went to the beach. We saw Carlos's, are you back, Carlos? Welcome back. We saw Carlos's uh, retreat center. We went out to the Pacific Ocean. We got out there. It was really cool. So we're at the Pacific Ocean. Over here is this mountain range that's beautiful, real far away. Here is the Pacific Ocean, beautiful. And here is a double rainbow. I am surrounded by something that is one of the most incredible sights I've ever seen in my life. And then the sun sets above the ocean. Incredible. I watched it going, going, gone. It was so incredible. But that wasn't for me. I was just a bystander. It was a beautiful thing. I wish I could, you know, no picture does it justice. But at the end of the day, I knew that all of that stuff, that wasn't for me. I just got to enjoy that. I was just an innocent bystander enjoying it. But guess what heaven is? Check this out. Heaven, that is for us. Don't go past this too quickly. When God says to us in heaven, well done, good and faithful servant, God is affirming us. God is giving us that sunset, rainbows, mountain range, not as a bystander that, oh, wow, look what God did, but instead as a gift to us. This is for you. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's something else. But whatever it is, it's going to be so incredible, such an incredible gift that we can't believe that we are given that. Here on, here on earth, we're not given that. We just get to experience it. Can you imagine heaven? But this story does not have a good ending. And you just can't get past the ending. He asks the question. Jesus tells him what to do. And instead of obeying Jesus and giving, giving his money to the poor and following Jesus, he goes away sad. Why does he go away sad? Why? Because he, he had great wealth. This is crazy. The best of us. I'm going to say this guy is the best of us. Never lying, honoring your parents, wealthy. The best of us can't get in on our own merits. I mean, that should make you nervous. Because salvation is not about us, it's a gift from God. It is unearned. And you think that you can get in by how you live an obedient life and, and how disciplined you are and by what you don't do compared to people or what you do do compared to people. There is nothing that you can do or not do that's going to earn your way in. It's a gift from God. And so here are two problems that I think I and the Christians here at Fayetteville Christian Church are battling with. Two problems. Here's the first problem. We really do want God to bless our life. 
We just don't want God to take over everything. Let me say that again because I mean it. We really do want God to bless our life. We know that God is good. We know that God's in the miracle business. We know that God's blessings are so incredible. We want God's blessings desperately, but we do not want God to take over everything. And that's what Jesus asked from the rich young man. Everything. Second issue is, we want Christianity to, be, Christianity to be added to our life. Not to become our life. We want it to be an additive. Christianity is going to help me to be happy. It's going to help my marriage to be good. It, it's, going to, it's going to help me to find contentment. It's going to help me to live righteously. It's going to help me to do the right things. And Christianity will do all those things. But Christianity is not an additive. It's a takeover. This is my struggle. I'll just be completely honest as a preacher. I want to convince you that Christianity is the right way to live on all kinds of good, practical reasons. If you're a Christian, your marriage is going to be better. If you're a Christian, uh, you're going to live a longer, happier life. If you're a Christian, then God's going to bless you. If you're a Christian, then God's going to hear and answer your prayers. And all those things are actually true. And I feel like a salesman. I even dress up like a salesman to try to convince you that Christianity is the right way to live. And these are all the reasons. And some of you are like, well, that sounds pretty appealing. Some of you are like, yeah, but I'm doing okay on my own. If I start having marriage problems, maybe I'll take church seriously. Maybe if my kids start rebelling, then I'll start taking church seriously. But I'm doing pretty good already on my own. And then I'm constantly trying to convince you, yeah, but it could be so much better if you would become a Christian. And you might like, I don't know if it'd be better or not. And it's this whole salesmanship thing happening when the reality is Christianity is not about choosing between better and worse it's about truth and lie Christianity is not about better and worse it's about truth and lie you can't be half Christian you can't add Christ to your life either you're all in or you're all out. Either you're all in or you're all out. And that just feels so mean. I hesitate to say that because I like there to be wiggle space. I would be so happy in my darkest moments as the preacher of Fayetteville Christian Church, when I look at our budget numbers and I look at empty pews and I hear people complaining. I would be so happy if the rich young ruler and his 12 kids came into our church and placed their church membership. I'm like, I'll take you. 10%, I'll take it. Jesus doesn't say that at all, does he? He says, yeah, if you want to get in, not eternal life, if you want to get in the kingdom, you got to give it all. What a tough, tough lesson. For Jesus, there is no middle ground. And that makes sense. Because you know what? 
Jesus didn't come to earth and teach us and then go up to heaven and say, boy, I sure hope you guys can come and join me pretty soon. Jesus came to earth and he died. <laughs> There's no middle ground there. No middle ground. He gave his life. And his requirement from us is our life. There is no good ethics without the authority or the exclusive claim that God has over everything. That is, after all, what it means to be part of the kingdom. You see, Jesus answers the question about eternal life, about the kingdom of God. Did you see that? You know what a kingdom is? A kingdom, who, who's in charge of a kingdom? The king. Well, how much does the king own in his kingdom? Everything. That is the appropriate metaphor for Christian life. We join God's kingdom, wherein God is the kingdom, king, and everything we have belongs to God. For this rich young man, the thing that he could not give was money. But it doesn't have to be money. It could be our time, it could be our family, it could be our hopes, it could be our selfish desires, it could be all kinds of things. But God's radical appeal is not to compromise and just give me 10%. God's appeal is, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be in my kingdom, then you must honor me as king. And by the way, kingdom involves more than just one person. Kingdom involves the other people that are in the kingdom. So the answer is not about eternal life. It's about being a part of the kingdom. And it makes me nervous when Christians don't really like to gather together with other Christians. They want eternal life. They're hoping for some perfect fishing pond up in the mountain skies catching trout. But yet, they don't want to be a part of the church, which is the assembly of people who worship God as king. Something's broken there. Well, let me move to some closure here. From this story from this real story that Jesus gave. We at least get this lesson, don't we? That God notices how we live our life. God notices how we spend our money, what we do. God doesn't stand far away and just be like, hey, whatever you do is fine, by, but I, I hope you're in. I hope you get in at the end. I hope you purchase that insurance policy. From this story, God regards what we do with our money. What we do with our life. And the more talented and gifted and wealthy we are, the more is expected from us. The more God gives you, the more you're expected to return. The man with five talents was expected to give 
back another five talents. The man with three talents was expected to give back another three. Now, I, people are like, hey, I wouldn't mind if God, you know, gave me a million dollars. I would really show him what I could do with that million dollars. I wouldn't mind if God let me win the lottery, and then I would really show him how faithful I could be with that much money. My friend Ed pointed out this past week that if you are here today, means you live in America, you're worshiping in Fayette County, you're in this church, you're sitting in these pews. If you're here today, 90% of the world thinks that you're in that upper echelon 1% of the world in terms of wealth and power and convenience and safety. And I think that's probably true. If we're in the upper 1%, then what God expects back from us? Well, I don't know. Maybe you have trouble relating to the rich young man because you're not rich. That's how I've always played this story off, especially when I was a student. Well, yeah, that's not applying to me. I would actually sit in church and think, boy, I hope that person is listening. I know this is terrible, but I would think, I hope they're hearing this. I know it doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich. Well, let's just take the metaphor that time is money. No matter who you are, whether you're in sixth grade or whether you're 82, you have the same amount of time each week as everybody else. We don't get more time or less time. We all have the same amount of time. So in a given week, I had to do the math. Here we go. We each have 10,080 minutes a week. Let's just translate that into dollars. Each week we're given $10,080. That's pretty good. I'd take that. Rebecca, would you take that? $10,080 a week? Yeah. Would you give back 10% if I gave you $10,080 a week? Yeah. How much is 10% of Jonathan, 10,080? Come on. It's like 1,000? What is it? 1,080. How many? Okay, so translate that into minutes. 1,080 minutes is how many? What is that? Three hours? What's 10% of a 10,080? 1,080? How many? If that's in minutes and hours, how many hours is that? Oh, come on. How about this? 20 minutes a day. That's about 20 minutes a day. What if you were to look at your life and say, 20 minutes of my day belongs completely to God? That's only 10%. That's only 10%. Before we're so hard on the rich young man, he was probably given 10%. And God asked for all. I mean, the, the person that has trouble going to church once a week, that's 60 minutes a week. Not even given 10%. But don't, don't kid yourself. You could give all 1,000, 10,080 minutes and still not be in. Because we cannot give enough to earn our way into heaven. Salvation is a gift from God. 
what Christianity is, it's a recognition that Jesus is our king and he owns it all. He owns it all. The worst offenders, in my opinion, are the good people. The people who, like me, went to Bible college, or like me, who are preachers, or good church members, they're the worst, worst offenders. You know why? Because they look at themselves compared to other people, and they're like, you know what? I go to church more than them. I go to Bible study. I read the Bible. And so because we compare ourselves to evil people, we begin to think that we are somehow better than evil people. You know the hardest people to get to go to church on Sunday morning at Milligan College was the Bible majors. The Bible majors. You know why? I study the Bible. I'm going to be a professional Christian when I grow up. I do all these things with chapel and all that. And we have mandatory chapel on Tuesday and Thursday. So I do more than the average person. I don't need to go to church on Sunday because they're better than other people when they compare. And then my first ministry was outside of Penn State University. And I met the Christian Campus House people. And they were passionate about God. Because on that campus, they were confronted with real evil, real fornication, real addiction. And they had to realize that, you know what, if I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to be unlike this whole campus. And it forced them to be true to who they were. And they had no problems going to church. I think sometimes the good guys like the rich young ruler they have problem giving it all because they think they're doing better than other people. But the hard lesson or the thing that people don't want to hear is that Jesus doesn't want 10%. Jesus wants it all. All of your time. All of your money. All of your energy. All of your family. It's a recognition that Jesus is king. And I'm his subject, and he owns it all. So, what does it mean to be all in for you? I'm not going to assume that I know what that thing is, whether it's money or time, or I don't know what it is for you. I'm not going to pretend to know what God is calling you to give up. But I will say that Christianity is not an additive. It's not something we tag on, but it takes over our whole life. And so my challenge for you this morning is to, God, to let God in there wherever there is and take over. Relinquish control. Give it up. Quit holding on. Let God be your king. Maybe the best metaphor might be if you haven't been baptized is Christian baptism. Because when you're baptized, you stand before people and you acknowledge God as king. That's what Messiah means, anointed one. And when you're baptized, you give up 
and you submit to death in the water. It means you've given up your life and you're raised to newness of life. I mean, isn't baptism a beautiful picture of being all in? Don't you think it is? I think it's a compelling picture of somebody who's all in. If, it, if you don't want to get baptized, you might not be all in yet. Understand that. But I know I'm speaking to a lot of baptized believers today. A lot of rich young rulers who are doing five things good, honor, no adultery, no lying, honoring my parents, maybe giving 10%. And Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't say, okay, well, you're doing good. Just keep it going. He says, I want it all. And so my challenge for you during this invitation time is to search your heart and let God direct you and let go of that thing, maybe, that's standing in the way. You can't be good enough to earn heaven. That's a gift. You can only accept it. Give up and accept it. Let's pray.